Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your own health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Susie Gress. Susie Gress is founder and ownership partner in Vashon Velvet, a recreational I-502 licensed cannabis grower and processor on Vashon Island in Washington State. Susie is a serial entrepreneur, having launched a recycling collection business as well as a marina for floating homes. She presently manages all operations at Vashon Velvet and drives the development of exceptional cannabis products for the recreational market. Vashon Velvet is leading the way in incorporating green technology to lessen their ecological footprint, and we'll talk about that today. Welcome, Susie. Hi, Shango. Thanks for the sweet words. So, so glad you could join us. So to start out, I'm knowing that our listeners are curious what your operation consists of. So will you start us out by telling us a little bit about your number of plants, the kinds of lights you use in your growing medium so people can kind of get a picture of the Vashon Velvet operation? Sure, Shango. Uh, we're tier one, which means we're about a thousand square feet of canopy. We are all hydro, which we find is not only the easiest way to grow, but uh, uses a lot less water than you would think. We use LED lights, and our growing medium is grow rock, grow stones, I think. Uh, it's made out of recycled glass, which is melted, air is pumped into it, and it ends up with kind of a lava rock consistency. We recycle that. Every time we have a harvest, we dump them into a barrel full of hydrogen peroxide, let them sit overnight, and use them again. That's pretty great that you're incorporating so much green technology. Was that an ideal of the company to begin with, or do you do that more because you're on an island and you need to conserve resources so much more? It was, of course, both. Not just that. Um, it's also economically more advantageous for us to grow the way we are. But we did have a dedication to growing environmentally when we started, especially the LED lights, which use, I would say, less than half of the energy that the traditional HID lights use. There's a lot of trash that's talked around LED and, and you've got to be one of the first major grows to be incorporating LEDs. What's your experience with them then? Are you, are you, how do you find that they compare to high pressure sodium? We've been delighted. One of the things that we find with the LEDs, we did do a com comparison grow before we chose LEDs just in the garage with HID, LID in the same plants. And the, the stem length, the internodal spacing in between leaf clusters on a plant is much shorter using LEDs. We actually use HIDs, two of them for our mothers, because it's hard to clone plants grown with a, uh, LED. Mm. They have such short internodal length that you can't get the, the root space for them. 
I had not even considered that, but you're right. Sometimes I guess you do want it to stretch out a little bit so you can get your snip in there. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some photographs of your grow and, it, you know, those hot pink LED lights. It looks like a disco in there. Uh, and, and, and in that same article, I saw some like ridiculous photographs of the tips of the colas. They looked like they were somewhere between all white and transparent trichome. And, and I think you called them hash tips. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, uh, you know, this is, this is brand new having not grown with LED lights myself. Well, sure, Shango. It was brand new to us, too. This was all, everything's been new to us. One of the advantages we had is not knowing a whole lot which way they wanted to grow, and they had a particular kind of growing method in mind. Uh, but so far as the hash tips go, when we first saw them, it was about three weeks before harvest, and I would say every tenth plant had about a two-inch cola at the top that was pure white, just the top two inches, no chlorophyll whatsoever. And we were really worried. We thought maybe it was something we were doing wrong. So we Googled white tips on plants. And of course, there were a lot of opinions. Some people said, oh, it's you've burnt your plants, you've ruined them, That's you've, you are too close to the light. And other people said, oh, that's pure hash oil. It's fantastic. You're doing the best plant ever made. We weren't sure what was going on, so we called Illumitex, who make our lights. They sent a plant physiologist out to do some investigation. And what he came up with was that he told us if a plant is having stress, it will start to show from the bottom up because the plant tries to preserve the growing tip. And if the tip is good and the bottom of the plant is good, then that white tip isn't a problem. And pretty much what he said, he compared it to a fat person, that once you've got enough energy, there's no place else to store it. It's just stored as fat. So it, the testing of those showed that they had about the same THC as the green part of the plant, but more total cannabinoids. So as far as uh, taking those unusual looking colas to market, I would think that a lot of people who had not come across this they may question it. Do you just put those colas in with the with the rest of the produce or or what do you do with those? You know, we only sell to three stores right now because they take everything we can possibly produce and we spend a lot of time with the bud tenders talking to them about what we're doing and our strains. So they know a lot about our plants and they're able to pass that on to the customers. So they explain to them what's going on with the white tips and we have customers that will wait in line until there are more hash tips that come out. That's all they want is a plant with a hash tip in it. We, sometimes we put a little star in the ones with the hash tips just so the, the bud tenders will know, but they're definitely in demand. Wow, that actually sounds really exciting to not only, I mean, the idea that you're educating the bud tenders is a really great idea because, you know, people do that with other products to make sure that the salespeople there at retail know what they're doing. But, you know, traditionally, there hasn't been a lot of connection between the grower and the person who is finally uh, reaching the consumer. I can imagine that that would create a more voracious clientele going after your, your flowers. Those are the people that are the interface between the customer and the product. And if they don't know what your product's about, you're not going to have much going out the door. 
Let's talk about some of your strains, Susie. You know, a lot of folks who have moved into 502, their, their idea was we're gonna grow as many different strains as possible because we don't know what's gonna be cool. They didn't wanna commit to anything, but, mm -hmm. but I know from you that you have chosen, well, it looks like about a half dozen strains and, and you've committed to those after, I'm assuming, trying them out. So, so tell me a little bit about that. How did you go about choosing your strains and from a business point of view, what was the strategy behind that? Well, as you remember, when 502 first came out, nobody knew what was going to happen. We didn't know who our customer base was going to be. We didn't know who was going to buy what strain. But my guess was that the younger people who do a lot of smoking already had a supplier. Either they grew their own or somebody they knew did. And that they wouldn't be willing to pay the extra price at retail. So people in my generation, I'm 63, a lot of them hadn't smoked since, say, college or high school, quit when the kids came and wanted to start again. And the universal response for them was, I don't want something so strong it rips your head off, puts you to sleep. I want something giggly. So that's what we looked for is giggly strains. <laughs> that's great. Did you experiment with a lot of strains before you went and committed to these six? And do you have quite a bit of variety in those six so you've got a little bit of something for everybody? Well, as you know, in 502, after you get your license, you have 15 days to bring in any strain you want, clones, seeds, plants. But after that 15 days is over, you can only get plant material from other licensed growers. So the strategy for everybody is bring as much in as you can, as many different seeds, as many different plants. At one time, I think we had 35 different mothers growing. But it wasn't long before we realized that's an expensive way to go. You have to have packaging for each one of those. You have to train the bud tenders in each one of those. So after, I would say, the first first big harvest, we realized that uh, Laughing Buddha, Liberty Haze, and Acapulco Gold all were from Barney's Farm in Amsterdam, and people loved them. We can't sell it. We can't grow enough for the demand, especially Laughing Buddha. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks, Susie. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You're listening to the Godpreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gondrepreneur will return. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. 
Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and with us this week is Susie Gress, the owner and operator of Vashon Velvet, a cannabis grower in Washington State. So, Susie, before the break, we were talking about the strains that Vashon Velvet has committed to to bring to market. And, you know, a lot of times bringing the cannabis to market is made more difficult because of the regulatory structure of the state. And Washington does not have a really great reputation on that so far. So what has your experience been? Did you find the bureaucracy to be really foreboding and challenging? What was your experience? You know, I think looking back, the hard part was there were so many unknowns because it was all new to everybody. No one had done it before. There were a lot of rumors about what the county was requiring, what the Liquor Control Board was requiring. Things seemed to change frequently. Once we finally got to the point of having our license done, though, learning to actually use BioTrack, which the state requires us, and and to follow the rules, I kind of compare it to breaking a horse to a saddle. At first, it's very irritating to have to weigh all your waste and destroy a little plant in front of a camera quarantine it for 72 hours, but after a while it becomes routine, it's a habit, you know what to do. For me, the hard part has been more the other government agencies than the Liquor Control Board. Right now we're dealing with the Puget Sound Clean Air Coalition is giving us a lot of grief. Can you share on what particular topic? I mean, you don't, you're not really much of a polluter, it would seem. (laughs) Oh, we're producing oxygen, yeah, too much, I guess. (laughs) The problem is they don't have any standards they want us to follow. They just think that if you are producing marijuana, it's going to smell, and they don't want it to smell. So they want us to put in anti-smell equipment that we don't need because we're not really producing any exhausting smells. And I'll share a story with you. One of the other producers is in eastern Washington. They want her to put in a $5,000 carbon filter. They told her that she has a lot of pine terpenes and she said, well, give me a standard. How how much pine terpene can I put out before I'm exceeding the limit? And they said, we can't tell because you're surrounded by a pine forest and we can't tell the difference between your terpenes and the pine forest. (laughs) You're not allowed to put them out. So that's what we're up against. Yeah, that sounds really frustrating. And I can imagine that there's all sorts of different flavors of that because, you know, we all joke about reinventing the wheel, but, you know, you are on the cutting edge of cannabis normalization. And so you're probably the first person to touch a lot of these agencies and they're they're freaked out because they don't want to do it wrong. And most bureaucracies look to what has been done beforehand. And of course, this hasn't been done beforehand. So you're probably doing a lot of educating of folks. Lucky me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so one of the things that everybody loves about Vashon Velvet and why you get a lot of attention is your awesome packaging and brand integration. For lots of producers, the the brand and, and their logos and, and sometimes even the name is really an afterthought. But seeing your products in the market, you know, they're beautiful and they're colorful and, you know, many of them are under glass. You know, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you came to the brand and the logo and, and, and your approach? Well, like so many things, it started uh, around the kitchen table with a bottle of wine. <laughs> and- <laughs> We knew we wanted a deer. My daughter and I both have deer as a spirit animal. And as you know, the deer are all over Bashan Island and all over our farm. Uh, We wanted kind of a vintage feel. Again, as I said before, I think I thought at the time that our customer base would be comprised of a lot of older people. And we found that to be true. I wanted to bring back the nostalgia of my days of smoking pot in high school when we bought a lid which was an old Prince Albert tobacco can lid. That was the standard for for purchasing marijuana back in the day. So we have a can that is modeled after Prince Albert can. We were very lucky that my sister, who's a partner in the company, is one of the best commercial artists in Seattle. So we came up with the idea and she executes. So you mentioned now your daughter and now your sister. This is sounding like a women-owned and operated company. That's, uh, is that, would you say that's probably true? You better believe it. We also had a friend of mine from high school who's a CPA decided she wanted in and she gave us a lot of guidance financially. So we had a fantastic team. My daughter just graduated from college with a a business degree in Chinese, but uh, she's stepped up and become a fabulous salesperson between the four of us. And then we, we brought in Patrick, one guy, he's our token male. (laughs) (laughs) we're a good team oh that sounds great well one of the things that people really like about your packaging I mean there's lots of reasons but it's because you uh, pack it in nitrogen and that's new for a lot of folks can you explain why you pack in nitrogen well I have a, a chemistry background and at one time when I was in college I did a side job for Nally Foods uh, where they were testing if it would preserve their chip dip better if they had a flush of nitrogen over the product underneath the plastic seal on it. And it did. The the scientific testing that we did showed that it prevented it from oxidizing. So we decided to steal that, that notion and it does seem to fill up the package nicely and keeps the bud fresh. And so I'm assuming that is that's mostly ounces. So I know that you uh, you roll pre rolls there too, and you put them out in these uh, these gorgeous packages. Are you able to pack in nitrogen pre rolls, or is this mostly loose flour you're talking about? No, it, it it we aren't able to use the nitrogen for the pre rolls. It's there isn't enough room in there. <laughs> I suppose we could try it, but they seem to go pretty quick anyway. They're not they're not around very long. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have, I mean, since you do so many pre-rolls, I mean, that, that seems to be the thing that I see in most people's hands is, is, <laughs> is, is, is not your, not your, your, your flour ounces, but actually, and that's probably because they're in tall glass tubes, but <laughs> people, people are carrying around your pre-rolls. You must have a lot of hands on deck to to get those all filled up and into the market. I have to say they're a pain. <laughs> we <laughs> we take turns with who gets the short straw and who gets to make joints this week, but they are very popular, so we crank them out. And 
we do sell uh, one gram, two gram, and three and a half gram bags too of flour. And they're, I would say, just as popular. Most of our orders run about a hundred bags of each of our strains and a hundred joints, joint packages. So I've got a two-part question on that. And the first part is, you know, what drew you to have the tin? And second, you know, it seems like everything that you deliver to the stores gets sold anyway. So what caused you to want to do something like above and beyond? Well, the marketing strategy for that was that whether you buy one gram, two grams, or three and a half grams, they all come in similar Mylar pouches. And why would you buy a three and a half gram when you could buy three of the one grams, which increases our packaging cost. So we give a tin to anyone who buys the three and a half gram pouch. We would sell it in the tin, but people like to be able to see it first. So we just send a package of, of tins to the bud tenders and when somebody buys a three and a half gram package of bud, they get a tin. And it, it has increased the sales of the higher gram packages. It's funny how a business strategy that works better on your side ends up being something special, and that's the magic of marketing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Make them want it. Right, right on. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks, Susie. We're going to take a short break and be right back. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Ganjapreneur will return. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
Welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los, and this week we're talking with Susie Gress, founder of Vashon Velvet on Vashon Island in Washington State. So Susie, before the break, we were talking about your cannabis growing operation there on Vashon Island. And, you know, I've read in the papers that, um, you know, Vashon has been growing growing cannabis for generations, but but you're still the one, like, one of the first established legal growers on the island. So being a rural community, that's probably given you a lot of physical privacy, but what has been your reception f- from your neighbors and the rest of the folks that live on your island? Well, Shango, if you Google Earth, our location, you'll see a dozen or so hoop houses in within a mile of looks suspiciously like people that are growing marijuana themselves. So a lot of our neighbors are are pretty familiar with marijuana. Some of them that are not marijuana growers, just families, have been extremely welcoming and very friendly. There have been a couple neighbors who weren't so friendly. One of them was polite but wasn't interested in talking to us. We tried to be open and forthcoming inviting people over to see what we were doing but she wasn't having it the other neighbor has just been downright rude and antagonistic but that's the way it goes so far as the rest of the community goes you've started Vimia Vashon Island Marijuana Entrepreneurs Association and got it into the Chamber of Commerce which I think is is fantastic and that's done a lot for normalizing marijuana growing as a as a business on the island I was thinking to myself, you know, the way good neighbors normally introduce themselves is by, you know, baking cookies or cupcakes and taking it over. But considering it's cannabis, that might seem a little bit suspicious, right? (laughs) We did bake the cookies and we we were very careful to tell them that they were cannabis free. That's funny. That's funny. So, so with all of this success and being right at the beginning of normalization, I'm sure that you're probably just, you know, excited and relieved to finally be set up and be taking product to market. And, you know, as we talked on the earlier segment, you're doing some exciting things like, uh, you know, packaging your ounces in glass and, and creating these commemorative tins. What other things are are you looking at that you're excited about bringing into the market as you diversify now that you're like over the first hump of just getting your doors open? Well, part of 5052, which says that July of 2016, the medical dispensaries will have to either apply to be under the 502 system or close down, they directed the Liquor Control Board to analyze whether or not we need to have more medical marijuana being grown to fill the the lack when the medical places close. So far as I'm concerned, all all marijuana is medical, but when they say medical, they mean high CBD strains. We would love to be able to expand into high, we do grow some CBD strains now, but we would love to be able to expand that. It's kind of frustrating sometimes to have a demand for your product, but we're limited in our canopy by being tier one. That's it. We're making all we can make. <laughs> the other thing that we're doing to possibly expand, one of the growers on the island doesn't have a processor license, which means she's not allowed to sell to a retailer. She has to sell to someone who is a processor, which we are. And we're looking at a way to bring her product to market in a way that is transparent so that we 
let our customers know we didn't grow it, but it is a Vashon strain without a whole new labeling and packaging uh, structure. You know, in the uh, in the prior segment, you were explaining how when you first got into business, you're given this 15 day window to get your genetics, where the state kind of turns their turns their back, and you can bring mm-hmm. you can bring plants in from from anywhere, and that's your starting crop. Um, well, now if you're going to be diversifying into CBD, that sounds like that could be kind of tricky, right? Um, how will you go about getting CBD strains, additional ones than the than the few that you're experimenting now? How would you go about that? We had some CB, CBD strains that we had seeds of before the 15-day window closed, so we're using those seeds right now. One of them is called Blue Dynamite that we didn't even remember it was a CBD strain. We cracked the seed and, and sprouted it. it. It was not a very pretty bud. It didn't look like a big producer. It took forever. So we thought, oh, heck with that stuff. We're probably never going to grow it again. But when it was tested, it came out at 13% CBD, eight, uh, I think 5% THC, perfect combination. So we're growing that as fast as we can. We had another... Uh, a harlequin clone that was supposedly a harlequin clone turned out it had 24% THC and no CBD. So oh, geez. <laughs> we, we renamed that. It grows like a dream. It's now, we call it King Louie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you've got some CBD, but let's say for a second that you did want to pick up a new CBD strain on the market. How would you go about doing that just so people can kind of understand the constraints you're under? Well, there are two ways. If there is a current license holder who has the strain that you want, it, we're allowed to buy from them. And then if, if the, no one has it, someone who is in their 15-day window can bring it in and then you can buy it from them. So you, there is a, a good network of growers who talk to each other. I, I've got my 15-day window if anybody has anything they need. And, and that's very legitimate to be able to do that. Yeah, I can see that'd be a great way to uh, create a sense of community with other 502 folks that are that are coming in. They're such a nice group. It's amazing how many of them are women. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any sense of competition. It's more, hey, let's we're all in this together. Everybody <laughs> shares information. They share methods. It's been very heartening. Well, it's time for us to wrap up, Susie. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Well, thank you for having me, Shango. Susie Gress is founder of Vashon Velvet on Vashon Island. You can find the Gontrepreneur.com podcast right here on the Cannabis Radio Network website. You can also subscribe to the podcast in the Apple iTunes store, or you can listen and read interview transcriptions on our home website at Gontrepreneur.com. Thanks so much to Brasco for producing our show. I am your host, Shango Los. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.